All right. So good to be with you guys tonight. I've been, um, thankfully, I've been in here for the first two weeks for the Elisha Room and got to catch the heart of Pastor Rana's message. Let me just give you a, a little review from last week in case you missed it or maybe you forgot a little bit of it. But uh, um, I, I was laughing when this series was introduced in the beginning of the month because there's five Wednesdays in June and she said she's going to be doing a five-week series on 2 Kings 4 verse 10. <laughs> she can do that though. Now, <laughs> it's extremely intimidating for anybody else, I think. Um, and even the most eloquent of speakers would struggle with that. And this has been a wonderful series so far. Um, so last week, she had began to talk about how the upper room that the man of God, Elisha, was staying, was staying in, how he was coming there to rest. Remember? Remember this? And she had mentioned that Elisha was alone with the Lord laying on his bed. And we had that hammock up here. And I rocked my wife to the rhythm of the song. And that was a wonderful song. And apparently Tasha Cobbs has re- redone that song. What's the name of that song? I can't remember the name of the song. He walks with me. He talks with me. He tells me I am his own. He knows my name. That's the name of the song. So if we played that song. He knows my name. Tasha Cobbs has redone it. I haven't listened to that one yet, but I'm sure it's great because her voice is amazing. And really she mentioned just how important it is to begin to have a cultivate this alone time with the Lord. And she just so wonderfully describes her alone time with God. And your heart begins to long for this wonderful relationship with your Heavenly Father. And Elisha was alone with the Lord laying on his bed. And I will say this, that your alone time with God is your best time with God. I love church. I love corporate worship. But my alone time with the Lord is better than corporate worship. And if you enjoy corporate worship and you find that you're not getting alone with God very much, but you enjoy corporate worship, then my friend, you will really enjoy alone time with the Lord. Why? Because this is where he talks to you personally. He, he calls you his own. He whispers things into you and, and, and begins to cultivate something within you that builds strength promises, a a, a real joy in the Lord that begins to cultivate within you. Your your strength and power comes from your alone time. Your confidence comes from your alone time. But when God gives you the confidence, you never boast in yourself. You boast in what God has said about you. Because boasting in yourself is just rude. But boasting in what God has called you is beautiful. And people are very much attracted to that. So if people are only connecting with God at church or in some sort of corporate setting with more people, I will say that you're missing out on a wonderful side of God that is yours if you just so want it. She began to talk about the importance of praying, interceding, and fellowshipping. Romans 8, 26 through 27. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, 
We don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And the Holy Spirit helps our intercession. Amen? I don't know about you, but I struggle to pray sometimes. It's a, it's a difficult discipline in our walk with the Lord. Sometimes I, I've got a lot of my heart, but it doesn't come out well in prayer. So what do we do in those times? We do what Romans 8, 26 to 27 says, is we rely on the Holy Spirit and our prayer language. That's why this church just so desperately wants you to have a prayer language so that you begin to pray that words only the Heavenly Father may know. Even tonight as we worshiped, I prayed in, in the Spirit. And, I'm, and I guarantee you I'm praying for things deep into the future. And that's because that we serve a God who's generational. And the Holy Spirit helps intercession. We pray in tongues. And there can be a, just a deep groaning within your spirit that English can't express, but your prayer language can. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 10. This is what the scriptures mean when they say, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. But it was true to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. As we pray, the spirit works. Holy Spirit reveals to us even what to ask at times. Things we have not yet to see or hear. Things he have not even yet to enter our heart. Does it ever feel like sometimes that you're in a dry season in your walk with the Lord? Well, I want to encourage you to say that there's no end to the depths and the beauty of God and the knowledge of God. And so keep pressing in. Keep pressing in. Keep going to that prayer room. Keep opening the word of God daily. There's no end to who he is. You've not reached full capacity yet. Why are you dry? Well, maybe it's a test. Maybe it's just a simple test to say, will my children still press into me if I'm not giving them the feelings anymore? Will they? Because if you continue to press in, you'll, the scriptures will happen. <laughs> the, amazing, right? The scriptures will happen for his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. You can begin to dig into a depth of God that you've not, not yet gotten to. But if you stop digging, you'll never get there. You'll never get there. And trust and believe the scriptures when they say there are mysteries and secrets to God that you haven't yet been revealed in you yet. You haven't seen yet. You haven't heard about yet. You haven't felt yet. Don't ever get to the point in your walk with the Lord where you're like, hey, I've, I've learned it all. I know it all. I've got it figured out. I know who God is and how he works. And, you know, I know how the formula works to get my blessing. That's, that's so not it. That, that's, a, that's, a, that's a heart of a child that's full of pride and puffed up with knowledge. But, uh, uh, but the heart of, that God wants from you is somebody who continues to dig and search the deep riches of our, of our Heavenly Father. So as we pray, the Spirit works. The Spirit works. And we don't understand the Spirit all that well. It's the most mysterious of all the sides of God, the three sides of God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's the mysterious side, but He works. He works on our behalf. 
pleads to the Father for us. He pleads for us. He's our comforter. He's our friend. He's our encourager. So Elisha is laying on this bed. He's praying, and, and a thought enters his mind. 2 Kings 4, 11 through 16, one day Elisha returned to Shunem, and he went to the upper room to rest. He said to his servant Gehazi, tell the woman from Shunem I want to speak with her. When she appeared, Elisha said to Gehazi, tell her, we appreciate the kind concern you have shown us. What can we do for you? Can we put in a good word for you to the king or to the commander of the army? No, she replied. My family takes good care of me. Later, Elisha asked Gehazi, what can we do for her? Gehazi replied, she doesn't have a son, and her husband is an old man. I think Gehazi is a smart guy. He can read people. He can tell. He knows something's not right. He can, right? Some other, some other people are just dead from the neck up. They wouldn't even notice. Gehazi, thankfully, he's got a good, Gehazi's a good guy. He, she can, he can see something. He can read the leaves. Call her back again, Elisha told him. When the woman returned, Elisha said to her as she stood in the doorway, Next year at this time, you will be holding a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she cried. Oh, man of God, don't deceive me and get my hopes up like that. And it's just a question as he lays in the bed and rests and soaks up the presence of God. It's just a simple question. What can we do for you? And God likes to use a question. God likes to use a question. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Elisha receives a God thought from above. This is not a thought from his own heart. This is a thought from the throne above. And the only time you get a thought from heaven above is when you are in your room seeking God a little bit. Then you get a thought from above. You don't get thoughts from above listening to the radio, driving in traffic. Do you? No. It's when you turn it all off, you get alone with God, you can get a God thought. What does a God thought look like? I think I need to ask my child about this thing. That's a God thought. And all the parents have had those God thoughts. Something doesn't seem right. Something's not right with him or her. I got to ask my child some questions. You, gotta, you get this thought from above. And his thought is, what can I do for this Shunammite woman? And this simple thought, it begins to release this display of miracle and a God strategy that we're going to figure out more tonight. So the strategy from the throne room flows into Elisha's room and into his mind and heart. So that was the review from last week. I know you forgot it all. So we have this miracle question that we're going to talk about tonight. 2 Kings 4, 17. The miracle question comes, what can I do for you? And then it's the answer is given. I'm, you're going to have a son in your arms. And so 2 Kings 4, 17, it says, sure enough, the woman soon became pregnant. And at that time, the following year, she had a son just as Elisha had said. Very next verse. Boy, it turns bad quick. The very next verse. Verse 18. One day, when her child was older, he went out to help his father who was working with the harvesters. 
Suddenly, that boy cried out, my head hurts, my head hurts. His father said to one of the servants, carry him home to his mother. So the servant took him home, and his mother held him on her lap. But around noontime, he died. Verse 21, she carried him up, laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door, and left him there. So she is drawn to this room. And we know that this room is special. It was built with a a special heart from the woman. It's a special room for Elisha. It's a room where God is speaking to Elisha. It's a room where God is moving through Elisha. God above is speaking into this room. This room is really important. So she's drawn to this room after this boy has died. This room is where God's presence is. And I'll say this, that God puts his presence in places. And in order to get the blessing there, you got to get your body there. This is a God formula. you got to get your body into the place where God's presence is. I understand God moves and hovers above the earth, right? But God also moves in places. He moves in actual buildings. He'll move in a building. He'll move upon a people in a building. And if you want to experience the revival, you've got to get into the building. You understand what I'm saying? So she gets into this room. She gets into this room where the presence of God is. This is the only place she wants to leave the body. This is the place where the child was conceived in intercession. It's an important place, isn't it? 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 10 says, This is what the scriptures mean when they say, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. But it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit, for his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. And it, see, it's on, in this room, it was on this bed that this strategic God question came into Elisha, spoken from the throne room into Elisha's room. It was like an arrow into his heart. So where does God speak to you at? And Pastor Rhonda talks about this room that she goes into, and I know the room she goes into. I know what room it is. But she goes into this room, and I want to, really want to encourage you that God really does move in places. He moves in, in, in locations. He does. And, and, and this is a room that's special. This is a room where, where arrows are shot from heaven above into the hearts of man, right? Do you have a place where, where God speaks to you? Do you have a location where God speaks to you? Do you have a pew where God speaks to you? I bet you do. I really do think you do. Do you have a room? Do you have a place? Is there a spot where you like to sit where you can not be distracted, you see? Is there a place, some of you, it's your car. Honestly, it really truly is. It's the car. it's It's a spot on the couch. It's a chair in a room. It's a, there's a place. There's some place. You've got to get there to hear God. Get there to hear God. Amen? God, get to that place over and over again. Don't forsake that location. Don't forsake that place. There is this miracle question 
where the miracle takes place. And I want to now talk about the miracle strategy. Did you know that there's a strategy in the Bible that works every single time? Would you like to know what it is? You know, it's the funny thing is, is that you already know this principle that I'm about to tell you, but you've forgotten it. You know it, but you've forgotten it. But there is a strategy in the Bible that works every single time. And I want to talk about tonight, I want to talk about the miracle strategy tonight. It's this, to get back what you've lost, you've got to go back to what you left. And this Shunammite woman loses her son. And where does she go to get him back? To the place where it all started. If you, to get back what you've lost, you've got to go back to what you left. I'll prove it to you. It's a, it's a strategy. It's a miracle strategy. A God strategy displayed in the Bible all the time. To get back what you've lost, you've got to go back to what you left. See, if you leave your job today, you lose the benefits. If you want to get the benefits back, you go back to your job. It's pretty easy, isn't it? If you leave a church, you lose the benefits. Some people think that they can leave the church and still get the benefits, but they can't, and they get frustrated, and that frustration builds in them, you see. You cannot leave anything without losing something. You cannot leave good eating habits. You can't leave exercise. You can't leave good sleep and just not begin to lose your health. You can't leave something. Anytime you leave something, you're going to lose something. It's going to happen. It might not feel it right away. You could probably eat three cookies a day for a little bit of time. You could stop exercising for a little bit of time. You could stop eating good for a little bit of time. And for a little bit of time, you faked yourself out and you've psyched yourself out into thinking, I can do this and I can carry on like this. And I don't think I'm going to get that belly like everybody else did. And sure enough, what happens? You get that back fat. You, it's a spiritual principle, though. It's a real principle that works in this world. It's a spiritual principle. You cannot leave something without losing something. But there's such good news for all of us tonight. That if you want to get back what you lost, you've got to go back to what you left. You cannot leave holiness and get godliness. If you've lost joy, I'll encourage you tonight to return to praise. It's so simple, but it's true. And I think the curse of the church is that many Christians have lost their joy and were unfortunately a joyless church. But I believe that the church was designed to have shouts of joy and shouts of praise and a real joy about us. But I think it's the curse of the church. It's lost its joy. People aren't attracted to it anymore. People don't see the benefit of it anymore. They're not not being pulled in through the joy. I think it's a curse. But if we want to get our joy back, we got to return 
to praise. I like fast songs. It gets you going. It gets you happy. How do you turn a, how do you go from a bad mood into a good mood? You got to go back to doing something else that puts you in a better mood. If you've lost your joy, return to praise. This is a spiritual principle that works every single time. If you've lost your victory, you got to return to the word. Figure out how to get your victory back. Find the principles of David and, and Goliath and, and look at the principles of how David defeated the Philistines and how David defeated even Saul, how he, how he took the throne, how it all worked out, how he listened to the prophet Nathan and how he returned from a lifestyle of sin to reign again and how he passed the baton on to Solomon. How do I get my victory back? You got to get into the word. Go back. If you've lost something, you go back to get it. If you leave the prayer room, you lose some things. And I'll ask you tonight, do you, do you have a prayer life? Do you, and this is really, well, I think this is the, the, the crux of the whole series is prayer, prayer life. Your prayer life, there's such an encouragement upon the prayer life. And I, encourage, and I just want to encourage you to, to, to not lose the prayer, to not lose the, the prayer room. Because you lose the, the prayer room, you lose some things. You lose the, the prayer room, you lose your sight for the future. You lose your, your prayer room, you lose your God confidence. You, you lose your, your prayer room, you, you'll no longer know what your next step is. And I know, I know we're all distracted. It's hard to pray. I know we're all distracted. You got a social, you, I know you haven't lost your social media life, have you? None of you lost that. Huh? None of you have lost your Netflix life. I'm hitting it. I'm hitting it now. Uh-huh, I'm hitting it. With your kids, none of you, none of you have lost that. Getting those kids to all those things, have you? You haven't lost that. You haven't lost your work life. But do you have a prayer life? Do you have a prayer life? All those things are fine. But do you have a prayer life? I mean, I don't mind Netflix. It's not a sin. It's just a it's just channel on the TV. It's just an app. But do you got a prayer life? I, I know running those kids around is awesome. I got kids myself. I love watching them do fun things and celebrating them. But, but, but have you lost your prayer life, you see? It, it, the good news, to get back what you've lost, you've got to go back to what you left. I think the curse of my generation, it has lost so many good things, but we aren't willing to go back to get them. I can't tell you how many times I just want to throw my phone away. I don't like my phone. I hate it. I hate my phone. My life was much better before my phone. My life was much better before the internet. My life was, was much better before all these things have entered into me, have taken so many things away from me. It doesn't give anything. It takes away constantly. But I, and I want to throw it away, but I can't. My kid and the curse of my generation is that it has lost good things, but we aren't willing to go back to get them. We really truly aren't. And if I want all that back, I got to go back to what I used to have, don't I? It's true for all of us. And the Shunammite woman, she has lost her son, but went back to the person, went back to the place where she got it from. 
There's a spiritual principle here. Revelation 2, 4 through 5. This is God speaking. He says, but I had this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look at how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. The lampstand represents the passions of God, the fire of God, the presence of God, the, 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 the light that shines bright, that draws in the sinners into church, that gets our family members back. That lampstand shines bright, and all of a sudden your child will, will, will talk, start talking about God, and you're like, whoa, my, where did this come from? They're coming back to the house of God. It's because the lampstand is shining bright. And they want that light. They're attracted to the light. They want that. But how do we get that lampstand to continue to shine bright? You, you just, you come back. He says, turn back to me and do the works you did at first. You've lost something. Stop doing what you do there. Come back to what you did at first. So many businesses struggle after they pass it on to the successor because the successor doesn't do what the person did at the beginning to give success. They don't do the things they did at first. But it's a principle and it works every time. The God is always telling us to repent and to return. And if you do, I will light your candlestick again. I will light your lampstick again. Amen? Luke 15 is the prodigal son. He leaves the father's house and he lost everything. He thought he was about to live the dream and he lost it all. And we all do the exact same thing. We run away thinking we're going to get the best part of every part of life we could ever imagine. The, the, the money, the fame, the fortune, the everything. I'm going to get it all. I'm going to just, I got to run. But I, they leave everything good and they go after everything bad. And they're stunned when they realize they don't have anything good. Just like the prodigal son. And how did he get it back? He came home. He came back. He came back to the father's house. He's eating the pig's food, man. He's living shoeless, shirtless. He ain't got nothing. He ain't got a bath. He got nothing. He is poor as can be. He is starving. He is struggling. He finally gets weak enough to admit, this is horrible. I'm an idiot. What am I doing? If I just go home, I could get it all back. And that's what he does. He goes back. To get back what you lost, you go back to what you left. And good news, man, because if you come back, you get it all back. Amen? If you want a great marriage, I encourage you, you've got to do the things you did at first to fall in love. How did you date? How did you fall in love? How much did you talk before you got married? Jen and I were engaged for over a year, and we were living in different states, and I would call her in the morning, early. We both had to get up really early for work. I worked construction. She was working at, as a teacher. So we're both up really early, and we call each other on the phone. We talk for maybe, I don't know, 30 minutes at most, right? Chat in the morning. Then I'd call her after work, and we would chat a little bit after work for about 30 minutes, maybe 45 minutes. And then we'd plan to, to go to bed together, and we would chat, talk on the phone, chat on the phone for sometimes two hours. And at times, I, I, she'd fall asleep on the phone. Jen, are you still there? She wouldn't even respond. I would just hang up. That's how we fell in love. We talked. We talked. We talked. We talked. 
If we want to continue to fall in love, we got to talk. We got to talk. We got to pull out the, the, the deep, the deepness from the heart, the dreams, the goals, the ambitions, the, the, the thoughts, everything, the ideas about the world, pull them out of each other. If we want to continue to stay in love, this is how we do it. This is how we do it. Look at what happened with David. David left the Ark of the Covenant at Obed-Edom's house for 18 months. And the Bible says that Obed-Edom's house was being tremendously blessed. His flocks of herds and his crops and his kids, he's having, his kids are having kids. He's having kids. It's just fruitful and multiplying every, everywhere you look. It's like there's so many blessings happening. And did you know during those 18 months that the Ark of the Covenant was away from David and at Obed-Edom's house, David the psalmist didn't write one psalm for, 18, for those 18 months? But what happens when the Ark of the Covenant comes back? into Jerusalem. What's David doing? He has got the whole band out there. He has got his song back. He's got his dancing back. He's got his joy back. He gets his blessing back. He gets everything back. He is full of so much song that his wife, Michael, is just embarrassed by him. That's a whole nother message. But if you want to get back what you lost, you got to go back to what you left. Joel 2.13, return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He's eager to relent and not punish. Sometimes we just don't come back because we think God's going to punish us. God's so angry with us. But that's not the God that I read in the scriptures. He's slow to get angry. He's filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not punish and if, if you return to what you left, God will restore what you lost. That's called the miracle strategy. The, the, there, there is the strategy. It's a biblical strategy. It works every single time. No matter with what you're doing in your life, if you've lost something, go back to get it. Just go back to get it. It requires some humbling. It requires some repentance. It requires you to admit you had did it wrong for a bit of time. But if you can just say, I will admit some things. I have made some mistakes. But these mistakes are, are not worth it anymore. I want the blessing more than my, more, more than my ego. I will, I'm going to sacrifice my, my ego in my way. And I'm going to get all the blessings from God. Amen. This is what it's all about. So why? Why did this boy... Have to live. Obviously, we see the Shunammite one bringing him back to the place where it all started to get back what she lost. She's going back to where it started. Why'd this boy have to live? Let's find out tonight why this boy had to live. Second Kings, let's go to chapter 8. If you're in your Bibles, we're going to, go, we're going to end in chapter 8 tonight. Second Kings 8, 1 through 6. Elisha told the woman whose son he had brought back to life. You see, Elisha brought him back to life. Amen. Elisha had told the woman whose son he had brought back to life, take your family and move to some other place. For the Lord has called a famine on Israel that will last for seven years. So the woman did as the man of God instructed. She took her family and settled in the land of the Philistines for seven years. 
After the famine ended, she returned from the land of the Philistines and she went to see the king about, to, about getting back her house and land. How is she getting it back? She went back home. Amen? Verse 4. As she came in, the king was talking with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God. The king had just said, tell me some stories about the great things Elisha has done. And Gehazi was telling the king about the time Elisha had brought a boy back to life. At that very moment, the mother of the boy walked in to make her appeal to the king about her house and land. Look, my lord the king, Gehazi exclaimed, here's the woman now, and this is her son, the very one Elisha brought back to life. This is, what a coincidence. It's funny how God works. He sees it all from the beginning to the end. Verse 6, is this true? The king asked her, and she told him the story. So he directed one of his officials to see that everything, somebody say everything, everything she had lost was restored to her, including the value of any crops that had been harvested during her absence. She's about to get paid. She's about to get her house back. She's about to get her land back, which we already saw that she was well taken care of. Because Elisha asked her, what do you need? She goes, nothing. I got everything. I'm all taken care of. I got land. I got crops. I got heart. I got flocks. I got stuff, man. She's going to get her house back. She's going to get her land back. And then the king's like, man, what was the value of all of her crops over the last seven years? Oh, I don't know, $2 million. Yeah, just go ahead and write her a check. She, she hasn't done nothing. To, she hasn't harvested. She didn't plant it. But if you go back <laughs> to what you lost, you get to get back what you've lost, you go back to what you left. God, God knows how to restore back to you what the enemy wants to take away. And if you think you've been shorthanded in life, you don't know the God I serve. If you think that somehow it, 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 you've got, you continue to get the short end of the stick, I want to encourage you to get into your prayer room and to hear the whispers of your Heavenly Father to, and He can begin to show you how He has provided for you so well for your entire life. That you have never been given the short end of the stick. You've been given more and above and beyond what you could have ever thought. Amen? And so she gets it all back. Oh, this is so wonderful. We see that the mother now who has the son, and God knows the beginning from the end, and he knows you got to get the son back to life so that he can be presented to the king, so that, the, so that she can get back what she lost, and so that she can get restored to her what she didn't even didn't really do. But it, this is why the boy has to live. And this is just proof to us that there is wisdom above, that God's ways are much higher than our ways, and God's thoughts are much higher than our thoughts. And at times it feels like, God, I wish that wouldn't have happened like that. But if you understand the way God works, you can rest in his sovereignty. That he's totally in control. He is in control in a world that's out of control. That's the God we serve. He's in, he, he, he brings good things from evil things. That's the God we serve. He creates 
The straight path, when the enemy tries his hardest to make it crooked and hilly and full of troubles, he knows how to make a straight path. He, you're thinking right now, oh, my, cho- my child is so far gone and so far lost, and, but you've got no idea that he had to get lost so that he could get found, so that he could become a man of God, so that he could do wonderful things for the kingdom of God, and it's all going to work out, I promise, you see. And, and if it wasn't for the crooked path for a season, there would have never been this coming back to get him on the right path to launch him like a slingshot. It, it, God works like this. He knows how to turn what the evil meant for a disaster. He knows how to turn it for good. Because he's perfectly perfect in all his ways. He is the perfect ruler over humanity who doesn't serve him. But yet he gets humanity into the right spots. That's why the devil hates him. Because the devil can't win. And if you understand and believe the wonderful nature of who God is, you can rest easy in knowing he's so in control. Romans 8.28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. If it's in the scriptures, it's true. Just believe him. God is working above and beyond even what you are currently believing for. And if, you have a, if your belief feels small and it feels like just a mustard seed right now and your faith feels small, you get into your prayer room and you begin to build your faith. You begin to build your belief upon the rock. Upon the rock. That's how you build your faith. That's how you build your belief system. So when the ground gets shaky, you know, oh, I, am on a, I have been put on a firm foundation. I know who my God is. I know what he's called me to do. This is not a problem. This is just part of the journey. Amen? When, the, when, the, when COVID started, I felt God ministered to me. I have prepared you for this. You've been prepared beforehand for a, for a time such as this. And when he spoke that to me, I began to remember all the principles and the promises of God. And it's all good. It's all good. And that's a God confidence, not a self-confidence. I like it. God is always up to something bigger and greater. This boy had to live so he could be a living testimony to the king. I love it. I love it. See, your breakthrough, I'll end with this. And we'll end a little early. And it's, that's a miracle. The break. Your, your breakthrough isn't just for you, it's for others too. The king was changed by the miracle testimony of the Shunammite woman. You see, the king got a breakthrough when he heard this story and he sees the woman and the boy. Now, now, now we're talking, what, 9,000 years later. I don't know how long it's been. We are changed by the miracle testimony of the Shunammite woman. You say, your miracle is not just for you. Your testimony of miracles helps others see the formula and find the miracle. Michael W. Smith grew up. I'll end with this quick story about Michael W. Smith. Does anybody like Michael W. Smith? Yeah. Oh, your generation loves Michael W. Smith. That's why I chose this story. You see, I'm no, I'm no dummy. Michael W. Smith, he, he grew up in a wonderful Christian home. 
believing in Jesus, taught Jesus at a young age, accepted Jesus at a young age, followed Jesus at a young age. But he unfortunately, he says he had some uh, wonderful friends, but they were all older than him. It was unfortunate for him. They were all older, and they, they graduated high school, and they all went off to do their thing, and he was left alone and at an age where he got curious about life, like the prodigal son. And did you know that in the late 70s, Michael W. Smith was a true prodigal son? That he lived a life of partying and drugs and alcohol abuse and was totally running away from the principles that his mother and father had instilled in him for a young age. He says, I was a believer in God. I always believe in God. I always believe in Jesus. But boy, did I just want to just experience something in the world for a bit of time. And he went way out there. And in 1979, he had a drug overdose and almost died. And he remembers that his father, who he describes as a patient, loving man, invited him out to the front porch one evening and said this one sentence to him. He actually told him, I want to have a conversation with you. But he says, it wasn't a conversation. He said, my dad told me one sentence and then walked back into the house. He said, son, you're going to have to pull it together and stop doing this stuff. That sentence struck his heart like an arrow. He went home. He said for three hours, he laid on his linoleum floor in his apartment, just getting cleansed of the world. He said, he describes it kind of like a, almost like a, a panic attack where he shook on the ground repenting of his life. It took him three hours to confess everything that he is so sorry for. And he says at 3 a.m. he stood up, changed and saved. And from that experience in his life, he is the man who he is today. And to get back what you lost, you got to go back to what you left. And he came back, he said. He came back, and he never looked back. And, of course, now he's an older, he's older man now. He's older. Don't say careful of me. He's older. Yeah. If you can't admit that, we've got another conversation. So, but he says that that moment of his life, that was the turning point for him. That was where he went back, where the dead thing came back to life. And that has carried him throughout his entire life. That's why he writes the songs he does and why he's given his heart to the Lord like he has. And so God, God is moving and grooving and doing what he can do. And he's, he's totally in control. And we serve a wonderful God, don't we? So get into that prayer room just like Elisha did. Get that. Get that thing from God. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that our church would be just full of Shunammite women and Elisha men and Gehazi servants and kings who are curious and sons who have been brought back to life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. See you Sunday.